is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And we are happy to be with you today. Taylor and I were just sharing some humorous stories, and there's one that we want to use for the intro today, and it's just something that happened right outside Taylor's front door. So do you want to... <laughs> You want to take the ball and run with it? Right. Okay. So um, it's the season, I guess, where uh, it's the season. So we outside the front door, there's like some bushes, landscaping trees, and um, they're kind of close to the front door. And um, we have a dog. And right now, I'm just having her do her business out in the front because I've got, I'm trying to get the grass resotted and everything in the back. So I I was busy and I asked one of my kids, hey, can you go take the dog out? And, you know, so the kid goes out and then I hear this shriek and the door slams and like the world explodes of just this hyperventilation. And apparently what had happened is um, a pair of mockingbirds had made a nest in the tree outside the front and the fledgling was learning to fly. And so the parents were attacking, like coming after anything that moved back and forth in that area. And so both, both of the kids are just terrified to leave the house through the front door because these birds were going to attack them. And they were pretty vicious. I went out there a couple times and um, yeah, they, they were not, they weren't having it. And I just thought that was hilarious that my kids, these big kids are terrified of these two little birds. <laughs> So the the bird, the mother bird, is sort of a birdie version of Vanessa Michael Monroe, who just, like, don't mess with my kids. I guess so. I will pluck your eyes out. Yeah, something like that. Well, we use that as our opening story today as as a way of introducing the topic, which is narrative distance. So it's one thing to be on one side of the window and looking out at the mockingbirds. It's another thing altogether to be underneath the bushes or underneath the tree with a dog and right. have these things coming at you. Or so, to be the cat perched upon the chair. Oh, just even glued better. glued to that window yes. <laughs> watching the action. So narrative distance today. First off, Taylor, what is narrative distance and why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about it because I received a listener question, which um, we love listener questions. It's what keeps this show entertaining and informative. I'm just going to read this this email. It's very quick, very um, short. And it sent both me and Steve on a, hmm, let's, let's look into this more situation. So the question is, is it important to be consistent with maintaining the same narrative distance throughout a novel? I would prefer to shift wide to narrow and back to wide, but want to do so unobtrusively. Any tips? And at first, it took me a little bit to understand the question because, as you all know, I'm not versed in the dialect of writing. Like, I just come at it completely intuitively and from practice and figuring stuff out, and I don't speak the lingo. And so I'm like, oh, narrative distance, what is that? And I, you know, thought about it quite a bit. And then when I was telling Steve that we were going to do the show and he and I was trying to explain it to him, he goes, I'm gonna go look that up. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should have done that first. <laughs> 
So, but we're going to talk about narrative distance and then answer this question of how to best as I can, you know, if somebody wants to shift wide to narrow and how to do so unobtrusively. Okay, so let's let's get started with an example. And I found this at the blog of author Kate Forsyth, who's an Australian writer. And interestingly enough, this is going to tie to a story of something that, that we've talked about on the show previously, and we'll get into that. But there's a writer named John Gardner who had written a book called The Art of Fiction back in 1983. And in that, he gives the following example of what he called uh, psychic distance. And here's, this is going from furthest out to closest. Example one, it was winter of the year 1853. A large man stepped out of a doorway. Example two, a little bit closer. Henry J. Warburton had never much cared for snowstorms. Example three, a little bit closer still. Henry hated snowstorms. Example four, God, how he hated these damn snowstorms. And then example five, the closest. Snow, under your collar, down inside your shoes, freezing your miserable soul. So, yeah, five different examples of narrative distance or what he called psychic distance of essentially the same scene. And I have another example to offer. Well, not an example, more of an explanation, if I could just interject that. And this is from the editor's blog.net. And they explain narrative distance as the perceived distance between readers and characters and between readers and story events. If readers are watching events from afar, at a great distance from those events and characters, then the narrative distance is wide. And if readers are up close with the characters, feeling as if they're experiencing the events themselves or are watching from inside the same room or inside the character, the narrative distance is short or narrow. So that's as clear enough. So I guess that's it for the show. <laughs> No. <laughs> but yeah. wait, there's more. Yes. So the question is the idea of changing the narrative distance through the course of a novel. And so what was before you did this research, what was your gut reaction? Well, my response was I don't have a lot of personal experience with this because my preference is always to stay very close to the characters. But if I was to adjust the narrative and try and do it unobtrusively, I would treat it the same way as I would treat transitions in a story. So by that, I mean, when you're transitioning from one scene to the next, getting a character from place to place, the, the key is to anchor the reader to always know where they are in time and space. And so if you want to do that seamlessly, to move from wide, like, you know, one of those earlier examples of, you know, in the year 1940, you know, Henry stepped out his door, that would be the wide. And the purpose of doing that, I would think, in modern times, would be to give sort of a bird's eye view of what's going on or even to present something 
that is taking place down the street that the point of view character can't actually see or bear witness to, but the narrator wants to inform the reader of. It's a particular style. And but it it feels very weighty if you're doing that for the whole book. So I can definitely see why you then want to narrow it in some. So the the way I would transition something like that is to say, you know, in the year, whatever, or, you know, down the block, 30, 30, you know, feet that way, whatever, unbeknownst to John, this was going on. Meanwhile, John, X, Y, Z, and then slip right into John's point of view in a more narrow focus and show what John is actually doing. So the, 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 the trick there is like the question was how to do it unobtrusively and that that's what a transition is 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 taking us from place a to place b and finding the movement or the inner dialogue or whatever it is that leads us from one to the next without making having to put double spaces or you know breakout paragraphs or anything like that that's that's a transition could you see this being useful sort of at, – at the example that, that we've been using is at the beginning of a scene. Is this something that you could see being useful on a regular basis going through the book if this is a technique that you decide to do at the beginning of scenes and then just get deeper as you get three or four paragraphs into the scene? I could see it being used at starts of chapters uh, or even chapter endings – like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with it, so I'm just sort of looking at it from a vague perspective and just from the basis of how I understand storytelling to be. But I would be very hesitant to do it in the middle of a chapter unless it's actually a scene break. Definitely, I would, I would be very cautious about doing it um, between characters like, you know, in, in between dialogue, anything like that. And I would be cautious of it for the same reason that you don't want to character head hop. It creates sort of a reader whiplash. Mm -hmm. um, and going back to the subject of anchoring, which I've used the analogy of, of massage, where when, when a masseuse is giving you massage, they never take both hands off the reader because, I mean, the, the, the client, because, <laughs> and as an author, you don't want to take both hands off the reader because that then there's no jolts, there's no surprises that the client always knows where the masseuse is in the room and it's not relaxing to be touched suddenly when you're not expecting it. And it's the same way with writing a story, you always want to make sure that your reader knows exactly where they are in time and place in the story. And so the, the job of transitioning is to get from one to the next. And it's really hard to do that if you're head hopping. Um, I mean, if you, if you can anchor the reader properly so that they, they, smoothly see, they smoothly switch from one to the next, it takes a lot of skill to do that. Um, but if you can, then, you know, great. You just don't want to give the reader that, that discombobulation of trying to figure out, wait, who's talking, who said what to who, how did they know that? Because all of that's going to throw the reader outside of the story and completely ruin the immersive experience. So by going wide to narrow, 
that transition would need to be almost like um, when you see on a movie or something that slow zoom in, slow zoom out, it, it would be a lot easier for the reader to stay completely engaged if they were getting it that way versus if it was just a choppy scene cut. So that's why I say that I could see this technique being used at the beginning and at the end of chapters, Mm -hmm. beginning or the end of the scene, but not so much in the middle because that's just going to become disorienting to the reader. Okay, and now I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking of examples. When, when you said at the end of scenes, I, I could think of lots of examples where that's happened. It's like they're wrapping up the scene or they're wrapping up the chapter, and then it just kind of widens out a little bit. You have a, a different sense of perspective, and then it's on to the next chapter. A fear that I would have if I were doing this is taking it too far, going too long with it. Uh, because of the sense of distance you have between the reader and the story or the characters in the story. I know I've I've started reading books before where I'm like two or three, four, five pages in and it's like I don't understand who the character is here. I don't I don't know what's going on. I there's just all this stuff that's happening, but I don't know who who I'm supposed to be paying attention to and that right. bothers me as a reader. Okay, so yes, you're right, and that takes us back to the key issue of what is it that readers are looking for? They want, they need to, it's, it's to feel, this emotional gauge, engagement. We read to feel, and if you, we've used this example before, too, of looking at a picture album where somebody comes back from vacation and has got just like this whole folder full of vacation photos, and it's sunsets and scenery and whatever, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But as soon as it gets to the people, all of a sudden mm. you're engaged and you're looking at the people, yes. right? Because you want to see. So that's how we are with stories, too. And as a reader, you want what's going on with the people. Who, who, is, who is this about? Who am I caring about? And that's the danger of, of writing wide, a, a wide narrative distance, is that you're not actually engaged with or connecting to a particular character. And it can create a very sort of standoffish, whatever, relationship between reader and story. Um, some, some authors are able to pull that off quite well. I fact, my personal style is that the closer you can get to the to the character, the more engaged the reader is going to be because you're showing them people. And while character thoughts are critical, we need that inner dialogue. It's really what is the character doing? It's that character in motion that drives the story forward. And so you you can show character in motion through a wide narrative distance, but that's only really going to be engaging to the reader if the reader already has an established relationship with that character. So if you are opening a story, for example, with a wide uh, narrative distance, you, you want to not make that drag out really long because all you're really showing the reader at that point is scenery. Um, and the character, even if a character is in motion, because we're so detached from them, you're not seeing the character, you're just seeing a person, maybe, if it's done right. So you don't want to drag that on a long time because it's boring. Scenery is boring. Description is boring. What we want is the character. And that's why my recommendation always is show 
scenery show description through the character, through the character's eyes, through the character in motion, um, and describe what the character, how the character is interacting with and engaging with that world versus doing it from a distance. My main concern, if I personally, if I was going wide in narrative distance would be uh, too much telling and not enough showing. Mm-hmm. So the, but there are times when you really do need to just tell the story to get it, keep it moving. Sometimes showing it all becomes very, it, it, it drags the story down and makes it sort of glug along and you can speed a story up by just telling what happens, and that's going wide. Um, it's taking a, a distance narrative view. And, and again, the way to, to handle it is the same way you would with transitions, where it just sort of slowly pans out, slowly pans in. I could see how it might be tempting to do some chapters, like close up inside a POV, a character's point of view, and then instead of having to transition back and forth between close and wide to just have its own small chapter that tells something that's going on somewhere else. And I've seen that take place in like thrillers and stuff where there's a very complicated plot and it happens in, you know, there's maybe something else going on. Meanwhile, at, in this boardroom over in the Middle East, you know, these people are conspiring to do this, unknowns to our hero, whatever. And it will just be its own small little chapter, and then it will go back to the main character. And you can do that. I mean, obviously, it's a technique. People do it. Personally, I feel it's very clunky and not the most effective way to, um, to engage the reader. I mean, if it's only just a couple of paragraphs or whatever, and then you move on to the main story, it's intrusive, but, you know, it's passable. My own personal preference is always, if I was in that type of situation, I would create a character through whose point of view we would see those things because we're always going to be far more engaged with character than we are with just facts and figures or whatever. But um, every time you create additional character, your story grows exponentially. So sometimes for space or economy of words, it's just not feasible, especially if the story is already so bloated and it's just a small little tangent that needs doing. Doing it that way, it, it it's, how do I say, it's obvious. Like, you, when you're writing a story, you want your hand as the author to be invisible. You don't want anything to look like a technique. You don't want anything to look like oh, this is what they're doing. And something like that is very obvious. And um, I think thrillers are one of the few stories that, the few types of genres that you can really get away with that because a lot of thrillers are very plot heavy and not so, like, sure, there's the main character, but it's it's very um, plot oriented. Whereas for most other thriller, you know, most other genres, it's really the characters that are driving the stories. So I just, it's just, not to say don't do it, it's just those are just things to keep in mind about, you know, why you would go wide, but maybe it's not, it, it's probably easier to do it than not, but maybe not always the best idea for the story. Okay, and when we first started talking about this, we tossed out this little hook referencing something else that we talked about in a previous episode. I'm so glad you remembered. I wasn't sure if you were going to remember. (laughs) I don't remember if it was the episode when we were talking about writing books that you'd read or this just came up 
one time. Well, I know it's in an email. It's one of the emails that go out. I talked about it there. I don't know if we've ever actually talked about it on the show. Or no, not. we have. We have? We have. Okay. Yes. But anyway, the, the example that we gave uh, of the, the winter night and getting closer and closer and closer to the guy was from a, a, a writer named John Gardner who wrote a book called The Art of Fiction. And when I looked this up and gave the example to Taylor and said, The Art of Fiction, you said what? I said, oh, I know that book. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, great. Then we've got something to talk about because this was some inspirational book that you had learned a great deal from. Uh, That was not the case. No, it's not the case. This is the (laughs) book where I was like, oh, well, apparently I have a junk mind. <laughs> you want to well, read the quote? <laughs> I, I looked it up because Taylor remembered this almost verbatim from a book that she'd read years ago. And this is from the introduction of The Art of Fiction, Notes and Craft for Young Authors. Quote, the instruction here is not for every kind of writer, not for the writer of nurse books or thrillers or porno, or the cheaper sort of sci-fi, though it is true that what holds for the most serious kinds of fiction will generally hold for junk fiction as well. Not everyone is capable of writing junk fiction. It requires an authentic junk mind. Yep, pretty much. And I love the way he just compares writing nursing books with thrillers and pornography. (laughs) I think when he says nurse books, I mean, I haven't seen an example of those personally. And I I remember like this huge conversation about it once. But it's like um, I think he's akin to romance books. Oh, really? Not not nursing, you know, uh, medical books, but more like that – like a specific genre or something. But I love that just the, the relationship between thrillers or porno. And, and there's um, a, a quote elsewhere in that chapter where he says something along the lines of, you know, every so often there's a, a teacher or whatever who, cre- who accidentally creates a pornographer. Basically <laughs> saying that, you know, if you teach this stuff, then someone's going to come and use it for less, less noble reasons, uh, you know, an accidental pornographer or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'll just hang out with the sinners and the <laughs> drunks because I guess those are my people. <laughs> <laughs> but that was really funny when I, because I thought, oh, this is a, these are great examples that we could use these. And it just goes to show you, you never, you never know. You can use things from any type of, of material, and it can be instructive. Yes. Um, do we have time for a little daisy-picking story? Sure. Okay, so... This it's a podcast. <laughs> we can go on forever. <laughs> well, this is from... Yeah, okay, so, you know, I was born and raised in a cult, right? And when... We need to do another Who is Taylor Stevens show sometimes, because no, there are no, going to be don't. people who don't know. <laughs> Enough of me. But, um, you know, it's like if you grow up in a really small town and you know everybody and you sort of develop your own inside jokes or lingo or language, right? There's You can shortcut stuff by quipping something that everybody else knows what you mean, but if an outsider came in, um, they wouldn't get it, right? So uh, 
there's a story that we learned growing up that it becomes shorthand for, for one of those things, and, and it'll apply to, to what we were talking about earlier. And I just have to preface this. And it, it, it could possibly be offensive to some people. So please just roll with me here and don't take it like I'm bashing anybody. Just, just work with me here. This is from my childhood, okay? So the story is there was this very um, honorable but very poor woman. And she was very religious and very believing. And every day as she would walk from her job to wherever she lived, this very wealthy man from the town would drive by in his horse and carriage and he would taunt her, you know, oh, it's such a hot day today. Why don't you ask your God to turn down the heat for you? Ha, 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 ha. And he'd just ride away and wouldn't offer her a ride or anyway. So one day he's out riding his, uh, walking his dogs and he passes by her little hut house and he hears her talking. And he was very curious who, how could this woman possibly have friends over or whatever. So he goes and he eavesdrops against the window. And he realizes that she's praying. And she's saying, you know, dear God, I'm out of bread. I don't have any food. You know, please make a miracle. You said you'd take care of your children. Provide me something. And so the rich man's like, ah! So he runs into town and he buys a loaf of bread and he runs back and she's still there praying. And he throws the loaf of bread through the window. And she's like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. Thank you for answering my prayers. And the rich man sticks his head in the window and he laughs at her and he says, ha, 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 you fool. That wasn't God answering your prayers. That was me. I gave you that bread. And to which the poor woman says, thank you, God, for answering my prayers, even if you did make the devil bring it. (laughs) So... To the story of John Gardner. Yes, we can get this information from anywhere, even if you had to make the devil bring it. So I'm sorry, I'm not calling him the devil. It's just that analogy popped into my head every time uh, it happens. It's just my, from the cultural background I came from that something good happens to you from someone that you're not inclined to want to thank <laughs> because you don't like them or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for the bread, even if you did make the devil bring it. <laughs> so that's my story. And I looked up nurse books. Okay. And I don't know that this is, that there is no definitive answer that I'm going to be able to share here. But at the top of Google, there are a bunch of pictures of, of books, and the titles are Cherry Ames, student nurse, Cherry Ames, army nurse, Cherry Ames, veteran nurse, Sue Barton, Visiting nurse. So maybe that was a thing. Maybe that was a His thing genre, right? back in the day. Just yeah. a just a, a, a sub 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 genre. But do they like those covers that you're looking at? They're they not salacious like they're at all. The, they kind of look like they're from the 50s or 60s. Yes. Yeah. Okay. From the yeah. 50s. That's what I yes. thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But very wholesome looking young women uh, helping people. Probably romance, kind of romancy, you know. Probably the type of stuff that soldiers would carry off with them, you know, just pulp books that they would read, I would guess. Who knows? I, <laughs> I have no experience reading these books, but now I'm now I'm just really curious. Well, in that way, we know that much like those who write thrillers, they were the product of a junk mind. 
All right. Well, so interesting show. I, we, we took some turns we didn't expect. Thank you guys for being here again this week. We will be back again next week. And next week, we're going to be talking about antagonists. That's right. So stick around. See what comes next.